0: On the business side, it's the same thing. It's like I hired coaches as well in that area because, you know, even the best athletes in the world have a coach and they're already so efficient and so good at what they're doing, yet they still need a coach. And then in the business side, we sit here and we kind of go, you know, I'm just going to figure it out <laughs> or, you know, it's like, I guess I'm smart enough to just do it. I don't know. I mean, I'm just like, mm, I don't think that's, I mean, that's certainly one way to do it. But I think as um, I've evolved and as I've looked at both the endurance athlete stuff and I looked at the business side of things, I'm like, wow. They're... The things that make these kinds of people successful is the people they have around them and the people that help train them and coach them and, you know, help unlock the thoughts that are in their heads to be able to push and break through these things.
1: Welcome to the Driving Force podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst. Now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jiu-jitsu, and endurance athletics. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Peter Chi. Peter loves tackling what he likes to call peak experiences, and has often found these experiences through entrepreneurship and endurance sport. Currently, Peter is the founder and CEO of ThinkSpace. Based in the Seattle area, ThinkSpace provides workspace for a community of entrepreneurs, tech startups, nonprofits, and small businesses with a common affinity for passion and inspiration. Prior to ThinkSpace, he launched the Entrepreneur Organization's Accelerator Program, which focuses on helping startups go from 250,000 to reach one million in revenue. He also had almost a 10 year stint in the tech industry, in which he worked in software and database development for companies like Disney and Paul Allen's Starwave Corporation. On the endurance side of things, Peter runs just about every day as he prepares for his next marathon, of which he's done 13. He finds time to both run ThinkSpace and prepare for marathons while raising three kids. In this interview, we get into Peter's time growing up in Seattle, his stint in the tech industry during the dot com bubble and lessons learned, ThinkSpace. And his endurance athletics career and so without further ado my interview with peter chi maybe just to start off here like how i usually like to start off
0: um which is at the beginning so where did you grow up um i grew up in seattle born in seattle lived in seattle almost my whole life
1: okay and was business and entrepreneurship like a big part of your family growing up Like, was it table talk?
0: Yeah. um, Entrepreneurship um, has always been a part of the family. And my mom, she was running a gift shop at an early age when I was growing up. My father, he was um, also doing all kinds of real estate investments. And the talk around the table was always about business and still (laughs) very much is today.
1: Interesting. So... Your, your mom ran a gift shop and father was in real estate?
0: Yeah, so my mother, she um, initially was a registered nurse and she did that for quite a while. And then um, they opened up that gift shop and then she started to run that. And then my father, he's a um, engineer, civil engineer and doing aerospace design and that kind of thing. And did that for about 30 years, but he's always had side hustle stuff And it's always been real estate related and it's you know buying houses or investing in land and building buildings or houses or that kind of stuff interesting
1: and like for you would you say that you're like a natural or born entrepreneur like were you the kid who was always starting lemonade stands or like had a journal of business
0: ideas that you would write in um that's a fun question i I think that I was definitely nurtured to be an entrepreneur and I've always had jobs when I was at an early age, you know, whether it be 10 years old working inside the gift shop or um, taking on jobs like I was a paper boy for a few years and, um, you know, being able to deliver. Something to a customer and make sure that they're happy and then also collect money and get tips. That was a big deal for me when I was a little kid. And (laughs) it was like one of the coolest things was, you know, you're just delivering the newspaper, but The way you deliver the newspaper can be done in a special way and done in a caring way right not just chuck the newspaper at the front door (laughs) kind of thing and it showed up when it came time for collection and tips and uh, that was a a real special time that i knew that i could do something for a customer and make them happy so
1: yeah and how old were you when you were delivering uh, papers
0: Oh, I was probably like eleven, between eleven and thirteen years old. I did it for a few years. You know, every morning get up and go deliver newspapers. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess did you enjoy? Like, were you riding? Were you riding a bike? Well, I would assume you're riding a bike while you're delivering all these papers.
0: Yeah, I had a bike and just threw the paper bag over the handlebars and threw all the newspapers in and delivered. Yeah. It was fun. It was great. It was also a good way to wake up early in the morning. And I didn't realize I was doing exercise at the time, but um, it was also (laughs) probably some of the training um, that started what I do today even. And this is probably the first time I've ever talked about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're already building work capacity for uh, the 112 mile bike ride for the Ironman or however long it is (laughs) delivering newspapers. Exactly. Yeah. And do you think that's kind of when you're entrepreneurial fire also might have kind of started to kick in?
0: I don't think it really started until later on. And it was probably after I would worked in um, corporate world for a number of years before I started to really kind of go back towards what really made me happy. And so it, it would happen much further down the road.
1: Okay. And what, what were some of the things that you were like passionate about um, or like really interested in as a kid? Like, was it sports, music, art, etc.? cetera?
0: Um, I did play piano and did a little violin. Did enjoy, really enjoyed playing music, but I think I enjoyed more of the um, just play it by ear kind of stuff versus reading sheet music kind of thing. And then practicing was also kind of a big drag for me at the time and I didn't have the discipline to stick with that kind of stuff, which is kind of a a little bit of a regret, honestly, today. Um, I would would love to go back and play more music. Um, And then I used to draw a lot, did a ton of creative type stuff, Um, you know, whether it be arts and crafts type stuff or just drawing or oil painting or those kinds of things. And then I was on my bike a lot. So You know, with the neighbor kids, we'd just go ride around everywhere. So um, that was also what I did as a child.
1: Yeah, yeah. And knowing just how active and kind of disciplined you are now with kind of working out and exercising, did your parents encourage an active lifestyle growing up?
0: Um, I think my parents were very neutral about the exercise and the um, out. door activity type stuff school homework that was always the priority and getting good grades that kind of thing was the most important thing to them and I think that's what they recognized as being important and valuable and the other stuff was okay to do as long as you do your homework
1: (laughs) right right yeah okay and so you know I guess also considering what we do now today, like in being an entrepreneur and being a dedicated full-on endurance athlete like yourself is, you know, arguably two of the hardest journeys one can embark on. Are you attracted to doing hard things? And if so, like when was the genesis of this desire to want to put your, to want to push yourself?
0: This is a really interesting question for me because I don't think i sit here and say oh i just want to go do really hard stuff but i find myself always in the middle of something really difficult or really challenging and i think the reason why i happen to fall into that area is because of um, my desire to seek out peak experiences and those peaks are really challenging they're just flat out hard, and I, I don't typically just like to do the same thing over and over and over again. I'm like, okay, there's I was able to do this, that was good, um, I wonder if I can do this other thing now, and what would it take to be able to do that? So that's probably how I approach both entrepreneurial things and um, anything endurance sports related.
1: Okay. Interesting, and you went to college at the University of Washington, is that right?
0: Yeah, I went to the University of Washington and got a degree in business administration with an emphasis in um, management information systems.
1: Okay, what did you think you wanted to do for a career while you were in college?
0: So I love data and analyzing information and just looking at statistics And I've always felt like information is the most important and valuable thing for business and in any type of job, that if you have all the information and you understand the information, then the people around you are going to seek you out and you will have a a good job.
1: Okay. And like did did the emergence of internet 1.0 play a role in kind of you leaning more towards kind of like data and technology
0: yeah so um when i graduated in the mid 90s it was um i think it was 1996 i was um doing all kinds of data analysis and i was playing a lot of fantasy sports games with my friends doing tons of data analysis. And this is before, you know, we had all the fantasy game stuff that's on the internet today. Right. And it was like, you're reading newspapers and box scores and entering in stuff into your own spreadsheets and analyzing information. And, um, when I found out that there was a company that here locally that Paul Allen had started called star wave, I was like, Oh, that's a fascinating looking company. I think I would want to work there. And they were, um, on the, you know, edge, bleeding edge of internet development stuff. And everything's still very text-based and just starting to evolve into some, you know, images and things like that. And I applied for a job and it was doing database administration and building stat loads for fantasy football and fantasy basketball and, um, you know, all the major league sports. and. Um, this company, um, startway we ended up launching all of major leagues um, sports websites and ESPN and Disney and um, <clears throat> all these different things. And I was, um, I would say that was probably one of the most enjoyable times ever working. Like I was doing stuff related to what I studied and it was data and it was sports related and they were paying me money, which was totally <laughs> a huge shock, and I was just like, "Wow, I would do this for free."
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And and so, what did what did Starwave do?
0: Um, it was really about creating internet-related websites. And okay. um, back in that day, there were no tools that you could just plug in, or there was no WordPress. Right, there was no content management systems. It was everything had to be written and built by yourself. So it was, it was a fantastic time, massive amount of innovation. Um, Everybody around me was like brilliant. And I was, I felt lucky just being in the room with these people who were so smart and creative and coming up with new ways to do things. And we were just at the forefront of everything and the internet was just opening up and it was just such an exciting time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And So, so that's interesting. So like considering this, like if someone were to take a look at like your resume and kind of see what you, what you do now um, compared to what you did back then, they might've seen, they might've like guessed that, Oh, he just didn't really like that software kind of data analytics type role, but it sounds like you, you very much enjoyed it or do, or do enjoy it.
0: Yeah. I love technology. I love being around technology and even in today's work that I do, um you know i'm running a co-working space in redmond in seattle and um one of the big reasons why i started up that thing was because i after i had done my corporate career stuff um working for disney um i started working from home and i was doing kind of this real estate development stuff and working from home was a bit dry actually i I don't really care (laughs) about too much. I love being around people because I love feeding off the energy and creative um, stuff that's going on with um, what they're working on. And ThinkSpace came out of that. And it was more of like, I want to get back to a place where we can all do our own stuff, be creative, innovative, working on awesome technology and not have to work for the man. It was about... (laughs) Can we all work and get our stuff done and in the same space? And that's what success was defined for, for ThinkSpace.
1: Okay. Interesting. And so after you leave Starway Starwave, Starwave um, do I have it right that your next job is at a company called OneCast?
0: Yeah, I um, ended up over at a startup company called OneCast Media and doing all their database Um, development-type work over there running that team. And we were, again, at the forefront of um, broadband sports streaming-type stuff. This was before even ESPN was streaming any sports stuff on their site. And, you know, we raised $21 million and blew through it in 12 months. We hired 100 people during that time. It was like a new person starting every – more than one person starting every day. It was just total – crazy fast (laughs) growth and we spent all that money which was probably one of the most ridiculous things i've ever seen in my life you know um and we imploded at the end of all of it too so it was like a (laughs) giant supernova and i was i remember through that whole entire time thinking wow you know what this is this looks like a hail mary after hail mary at the end trying to get ourselves um acquired and I was like i'm going down with this ship like i want to see and feel every single thing along this entire journey because it's like you know you you want to know what it feels like to turn off the lights that are in because that helps with um you know things that you do going forward and decisions that you make going forward
1: yeah for sure and kind of kind of off of that what were some of the like big mistakes that that company made, and what were some of the lessons you learned from from those mistakes that you've taken with you to ThinkSpace?
0: Um, you know, I think the big thing about the internet boom back then was people were coming up with ideas that um, were very difficult to monetize, and there were a lot of crazy ideas back then, of which some of them actually made sense now, right? Yeah, Amazon was one of them. At the same time, it was, you know, this online bookstore, and it somehow evolved into something pretty ridiculously amazing now. And, but, you know, not all companies are like that. And we had a very difficult time trying to come up with a way to monetize ourselves but we were extremely good at spending lots of money and i would say the one thing that has carried forward with me forever now is how do you be frugal scrappy and happy and you know even if you had the resources can you do it in a frugal way like what is the the right way to do this versus the expensive you know Spend without conscience kind of <laughs> um, way. And then also I'd say the other thing is growth. It's like growth at any cost is not normal. And I think you know as I've gone through I would call them bubbles, um, multiple bubbles in my career now, um, I've seen that the a lot of times people companies are just forced to grow, and I think that part is also not natural. And it's a place where I don't really want to be forced to grow at all costs and do unnatural things. And, you know, maybe even some things that don't seem too ethical even. And so I'd say those are the biggest things that I've learned along the way, just learning and observing and um, experiencing these things.
1: Yeah. And when you say forced to grow, um, like, what what do you mean? What do you mean by that?
0: Um, You know, a a lot of the investors out there, they're expecting a hockey stick kind of growth, right? Right. If you don't acquire enough customers, then you're not um, a unicorn or you're not growing at the rate where um, other successful companies are growing at. And even in my own space here, I've seen some other co-working spaces do a lot of unnatural things in order to grow and it looked a lot like Grow at any cost. I, while I'm not inside that company, I, you know, the stuff that I was observing was just like this, it looks like some stuff I've seen in the past.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I can think of maybe one that you're mentioning. But, uh, um, and so one cast implodes <laughs> and then you end up going to Disney.
0: Yeah, I took a month off and I was laying sheetrock and um, tile and doing that. And I realized that, you know what, I probably need to go back and sit behind a computer again instead (laughs) of um, doing this hard manual labor. (laughs) And um, Disney um, recruited me to come work for them. And I was running their software engineering team that was doing the registration and billing and data warehousing. And I did that for like four and a half years.
1: Okay. And so was that like your first experience working at a, like a really large corporation?
0: Yeah, that was definitely the biggest company I'd ever worked for.
1: Yeah. Did you en- enjoy working for a large like corporation?
0: Um, yeah, Disney was a fantastic company to work for because of the brand it was so widely known. And it's fun to work for a company that has that kind of clout and recognition and that it also, you know, Disney owns hundreds of companies of which they're all mega media um, brands as well. And so just the association and scale of the size of those kinds of things is really unique to work um, for a company with that kind of reach.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what were were some of their biggest takeaways or lessons learned from working at Disney?
0: Um, I think the interesting thing about working in a person's career, at least my career, is um, as I got, I guess, whatever you want to call success, and maybe some people would say success is promotions and um, moving up the ranks and that kind of thing. Um, I ended up doing a lot less of what I really liked doing, and I started doing a lot more email and doing a lot more meetings and it was more about I hate I guess it's kind of like you know the corporate politics kind of things that go on Um, and that stuff I'd say the thing that I learned the most is in order to be successful in business you really should over communicate rather than under communicate. And that's with your customers, with your stakeholders, with everybody, Um, with your own team. I think that's just super important because when there's not enough information, um, people become less understanding about what's going on. And I think people are generally are good hearted, you know, caring people, but when they don't have enough information, they start to make assumptions that's right. typically correct. <laughs> and so uh-huh. I've emphasized that a lot with um, my teams and you know my company. And um, that's just one of the things that, you know, this is what we do with our customers. When something goes sideways, you tell them right away, right? And you, you explain what you're doing next. And then you tell them, you know, twice a day, this is the status of what's going on, in order how to resolve this particular issue. And mm-hmm. when we do those kinds of things, we can get through pretty much anything that kind of comes out of nowhere and side blindsides us or you know stuff that you just don't expect to happen you can you can deal with it in a better way
1: yeah yeah i love that that's great and so after working at disney you make a pretty big pivot um so you you go into working in real estate development
0: yeah so you know one of the things that i do is I would just throw myself at my work in a way where it's everything I got. And I have slept under my desk and been in the office for 36 straight hours to solve problems. And it's like whatever it takes. And when working for big companies, like they appreciate your hard efforts. But um, the thing that feels like happens quite frequently is that we're all just a very small little cog inside these giant machines and um, the effort doesn't feel as satisfying as doing it for yourself. So I decided that you know I really want to go do something on my own and I want to put all my energy and effort towards something that I'm building and creating. Um, I felt like that would be better use of my energy and time. So I ended up going into um do more real estate development type stuff. And part of it was after being in technology for over a decade, I felt like the work I was doing was all digital based and it was being rewritten every three years and it was not persistent. And the thing about real estate that I love is that it is persistent and I can say, hey, I put in this road. I... Built this house. I put in this, um, you know, short plat and Now there's eight houses. Or um, there's a building here, and I help build that building. And it's these structures that you can see physically outside. That is so tangible, and your work can be shown to your kids, and your kids can <laughs> say, "Wow, you know, that's something that dad worked on," um, and and they get it, right? They can see it versus right. the, the software side of things, which is much more difficult to really show that you- Like a line of code. <laughs> right? So that's one of the biggest reasons why I went that direction.
1: Interesting, okay. And so did you start this real estate um, development firm or like how did this opportunity come about?
0: So my father and I, we both um, built that company up and he was just doing stuff on the side and I decided, hey, I can work with him and help him and um, build these different things together. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy your time doing doing the real estate and did you enjoy working with your dad?
0: Um, I definitely still enjoy doing real estate development type work. I think there's just something incredible about creating things, and um, that that's been something I will continue to keep doing, um, whether it just be small side hustle projects um, you know that type of thing. Um, working with my father it's he's brilliant, like definitely one of the smartest people on the planet, and i'm I'm lucky to have that around me. Um, also, working with family is really challenging. I'm not going to lie <laughs> about that at all. And it's um, something that I'm getting better and better at um, at doing. And it's taken a lot of energy, effort, and coaching in order to work with him and work with him in the right way, because the relationship is so important to me. Yet, yeah. um, When you start talking business, it's just, I don't know, my brain switches from personal to business and if it's just business stuff comes out of my mouth sometimes <laughs> that cannot be the most gentle i guess and so i'm yeah. i'm learning how to communicate better and and then also learning to get less triggered by um especially family right they the, they know all the buttons whatever <laughs> <and laughs> they want to say that like here let's ignite <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah that's funny and uh So I noticed that like your time there ended right during the thick of the Great Recession. Did the recession play a role in you, um, I guess, exiting that venture during that
0: time? Yeah. You know, I think back when, what, 2008, the um, real estate market was starting to go down um, pretty significantly. And um, the building we had built was an opportunity to start something new. So I decided to put my energy towards creating that um, ThinkSpace business. Oh, interesting. And I stopped doing a lot of the real estate development work.
1: Interesting. Okay, so it it was actually a building that you bought during that time. And then was that like the first ThinkSpace location?
0: So that building was one that we built, um, and we had leased it out to a bunch of other companies, and as the leases start to expire, you sit there and you think, am I releasing this thing out to those companies or new companies, or if I were to start a business and start another company, what would I put inside there? And um, it was after years of really thinking about it um, and working from home <laughs> where I was like, okay, we, let's do something different here. And the creation of ThinkSpace was really kind of from that.
1: Okay. Got it. And then maybe just for the people listening, provide an overview of ThinkSpace and how it stands today.
0: Yeah. So, ThinkSpace is a shared office um, environment. I guess it's a co working space as well. Um, it's a place where entrepreneurs get together, build their own companies, um, get to collaboratively work on different things and build their startups, and we support over 600 startups and small businesses in the Seattle and Redmond area.
1: Oh, wow. And is it solely, like, are, are your tenants, like, solely entrepreneurs or, like, um, I don't know, like, he- heads of businesses? Like, or would you take, like, an office, dedicate an office for, like, uh, like, a large corporation whose office is established elsewhere, but they Kind of want like a temporary space now, if that makes sense.
0: Um, so, so most of the companies that we support, I'd say probably 80% of them are tech-based startup companies, small companies that literally these people have quit their jobs from Google or Amazon or Microsoft and decided to start their their startup. And then we have small businesses that are kind of service-based businesses, maybe some attorneys and CPAs and marketing companies inside there as well and then in terms of the bigger companies occasionally we get some of the um, maybe really large startups that are based out of the bay area um, or new york and they want to have a an office in the seattle area and they're just got a small team of maybe four to six people um, they'll um, you know lease out of space from us
1: okay and so how many locations do you have currently?
0: Um, We started three locations. Um, Our second location, we consolidated into our third location because of geographic proximity. They were fairly close together and the um, third location was four times larger than that one. So we shut the second one down to open up the third.
1: Got it. Okay. And how do you Try to, or how do you differentiate yourselves from all the other co-working space providers out there?
0: Um, well, I guess one thing, we're local and we are connected to the Seattle area unlike any other large um, kind of co-working space in the area. Um, and we focus on tech a lot and we support our entrepreneurs okay. in a great way. And everybody I've hired has been an incredible connector and able to help those startup founders connect with other people in the startup community. And I'd say that's one of the biggest challenges and things that people have to work through when starting up their companies, because they're leaving their giant corporate careers in these big tech companies. They don't have the startup um, environment kind of ecosystem built around them yet. So we kind of help accelerate that type of thing. And, you know, we find great joy in contributing to their success.
1: Okay. Is there, is there like one specific quality about Thinkspace that tenants maybe tend to like rave about or admire about most?
0: Um, I think the thing that i have that makes me most happy when I talk with the different companies out there is they'll say something to me like, you know what, I moved in and every day for an entire month i got a new customer because i was inside here and i'm like dang that's amazing i wish i was getting a new customer every single day that'd be fantastic um and then the other things i hear are you know we just get it and we understand how to create great space that works for these startup founders and it's it feels much different than what other people's spaces feel like so we've done a good job designing and architecting space that feels innovative and gives people privacy and I think that's the one of the biggest differences between our spaces is that we have walls, and those companies get to you know paint the walls the color of their company, and they get to put the branding on their walls and it feels like it's their space, not somebody else's right. space, and they're happening to be inside there
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you founded ThinkSpace before WeWork was founded, right?
0: Yeah, I started um, ThinkSpace in 2008, a few years before WeWork um, popped up out of the ground.
1: <laughs> ah, so you were one of the the early pioneers.
0: I guess you could say that, yeah. There was not a lot of other co-working spaces around. Um, I certainly am not the inventor of co-working. Um, There's other places, um, Indy, I think it's called, well, let's see here. I can't remember, but Indy Hill maybe is what what it was called. And there was another one down in San Francisco that was um, Citizen Space came up out of there. And there was a few others out there at that time mm-hmm. before I started. And then in Seattle area, I think I started my space up six months after another um, co-working space called Office Nomads. Um, so yeah, definitely right there at the very beginning.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And so when, I guess fast forwarding to today, like present day, when was that kind of like, uh-oh moment for you when you knew that COVID was going to have like a serious impact on your business?
0: Um, immediately. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is not good. And when, you know, you've got a community space with lots of people around, and then you've got the coronavirus, which is called, you know, six feet apart from every other person. Um, and you, I don't know, I was just looking at the whole thing, and we have a lot of event space, and um, that can hold up to 200 people, and I, you know, when the governor says, no more meetings larger than nine people, um, you're like, this is gonna totally change the way we do business. And yeah, it was it was quite immediate. I was like, okay, here we go, you know, this is gonna be the transformation of ThinkSpace and what we are today, because we can't operate and exist um, in any shape or form that we currently exist did before COVID. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was probably in that kind of like March, April timeframe.
0: Oh, February. was February. As soon as it kind of exploded, it was immediate mm-hmm. for, for us. We just knew that yeah. this was have to shift.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so how have you been able to you know, pivot and keep the business afloat during this time when, you know, I think many repairs have gone bankrupt?
0: it's been a struggle. So we had to apply for the PPP loans and SBA loans and do those kinds of things in order to navigate through. Cause you know, when the mandate from the governor is essentially stay at home and don't go into your office and, you know, no large gatherings, it kind of means you got to basically shut down the business for a bit. So, you know, my team's working from home and I'm working from home, and we're all just kind of navigating through things. But um, you recognize that, you know, it all has to change. So, the open desk coworking concepts for us is gone. We are not returning to do open desk coworking. Um, that's not a viable product for us any longer. And it's partly because the subscription model for that is month to month. And when people don't have to show up any longer, they don't, well, they certainly don't want to pay for something they're not using. That's the immediate thought that I think all humans pretty much would say, that's what, we shouldn't have to pay for this, we're not using it. So, which kind of makes sense, but then also as a business owner, when you're running something, you kind of say, okay, well, if we're not going to do that, then um, what kind of business or what kind of um, product or service can we provide to people? So we're, we've been like shifting our co-working spaces into private office spaces. And um, I think a lot of the companies feel much more safe about being in their own private space and being able to control the cleanliness of their own space. And you know, as long as there's walls up you know, they do show up. So during the entire pandemic, we've had companies still show up because they're the places that they live, or maybe don't have enough space, or they just aren't as right. productive inside their own space. Um, they were still co- coming in, in fewer numbers, but they were still using the space in that way, because they can limit the interaction um, of who they're interacting with, just by shutting their door.
1: Right. Right. And as you think about exiting, I guess, this COVID time, whenever that may be, do you think you'll still be able to uh manage to kind of still have this community feeling within ThinkSpace concerning some some of the changes you'll you'll need to make?
0: That's a very good question. And <laughs> I think I'm still honestly trying to solve how to um maintain the community vibe inside there when you really aren't doing the face-to-face type stuff as much. Um, I've certainly spent every day for the last six months on Zoom calls with my customers and talking with them. So there's a maintaining connection in that manner, but in terms of the community within the space itself, is, it's much more difficult to do that type of thing right now. And all the different networking groups and things that are out there, I think they're all doing the same thing. They're trying to figure out how are they going to survive as well, um, where they purely focus on, you know, startup networking communities. Right. Um, so I think the important thing for us is to continue to stay engaged with all those different groups out there too, because you know, they're the ones that help create that community and fi- um, fabric that's out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so what's your ultimate vision for ThinkSpace?
0: Um, I think, you know, we got to get through this pandemic, evolve out of it in a more streamlined, um, manner. And we certainly have been able to get things done and provide a great customer experience for our members. And, you know, I'm a person that will implement technology that, um, probably a lot of other places may be slower to adopt so I'm looking for different ways to help those companies be more productive be more safe Um, maybe there's ways that there's uh, a way to keep them safe from getting coronaviruses or whatever it is that's going to be out there after coronavirus right because I I don't think this is the end. <laughs> I <think> oh no! <laughs> that's part of something here, and I don't know what comes after coronavirus, but there's something else out there. And when that comes, it's I want to be kind of more prepared for those kinds of things. And yeah, well then we'll see. So you know, I think <laughs> it's it's about maintaining the great feel of the space that we have today, and um, continuing to create the spaces that people need and want. And continue to talk to the customers. So I I don't have a crystal ball for um, all those kinds of things, but I definitely focus in on what the customer needs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. I I hope there isn't another situation like Lauren now. That's after COVID, but well, uh, you never know. So let's let's shift to gears here. When when do you really start to commit to being an endurance athlete?
0: Oh, I would say 10 years ago, I started to run again, and it was really about trying to get exercise and um, have enough time to actually do the exercise. And running really is about the only thing I could think of doing at that time where it didn't matter what time of day it was, <laughs> I could just go <laughs> run, right? Nighttime, right. kids are sleeping, whatever. It's like, I can go get some exercise. And I don't like to just do things for the sake of doing things. So I'm a person that's like, okay, well, I'm gonna sign up for a half marathon because you know that sounds like a good enough objective to go after and a goal that allows me to say, hey, I'm gonna wake up every day. I'm gonna go get myself trained for this particular thing so it was about doing some exercise <clears throat> back then and doing the half marathons I did a few of those and then then another big thing happened during um, that time and I had a few friends pass away from cancer and they were young between the ages of 25 and 40 oh wow and I walked through one of their treatments like every day for nine months until she passed away. And I, something shifted hard inside me at that point when I recognized the fragility of life. And I felt like, wow, I'm standing so close to the edge right now. And I want the edge to be pushed a little further out. Like I want to back away from the edge, but I don't, it's not back away. I just want the edge to move further out, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. So I decided, you know what, what's gonna help me do that? And I I don't know, I, I think probably the only thing that popped into my head was like, run a marathon. That's gonna change everything because I can brute force a half marathon and I'm good enough fitness to do those kinds of things. But I know a full marathon is not something I can brute force. That's probably gonna kill me. So I was <laughs> like, I need to change everything. If I'm going to train for a marathon and that was like from, you know, what time do I start to wake up? What time do I train at? You know, how often am I training? You know, those are the things that kind of went through my head. And then I kind of went down that path and started doing marathons.
1: Yeah. And so what was that whole journey and experience like for you? Training and preparing for your first marathon.
0: Um, you know, I I didn't recognize what was really there um, until I started to um, get closer and closer to the first marathon date, and it was a week before the marathon um, was going to happen, and I just started having a meltdown, like tears every single night. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to go do this really hard thing. And I don't have anybody there at the finish line for me. It's like, I don't know, I, something in my head was saying, I am not gonna hug any person when I cross over this finish line and that's gonna be really hard for me. Um, and it's, it was really a dark, dark moment for me recognizing that this is what I'm learning from this whole journey of doing a marathon that I want to push the edge further out. It's like has nothing to do with the physical activity, but it was about the the human connection piece of it that meant a lot to me. So I, I don't know, I, I ended up talking with a few friends along the way during that week, and um, one of them was like, Didn't you have people supporting you um, during the whole entire time you were training? I was like, okay, yeah, there were some people there that, you know, encouraged me and this and that. Right. And they're like, well, just think of it as like, you do have the support and this marathon, this four hour period of time is just a dot in the tapestry of something much larger. So I bought it enough to um, say, Uh fine, I'm going to go do this thing. (laughs) Right. It was enough to convince me that I i'm gonna go figure this thing out i i can do this thing okay but um it did open the door to um recognizing that there's some stuff there that i really need to work on and i need to figure it out so i did marathon after marathon after marathon <laughs> running into pretty much the same dark walls right there and it wasn't until i did marathon number four where i um decided that, you know what, this marathon is gonna break me. And I think I'm done. So <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not gonna done as in like, I'm gonna kill myself done, but I'm um, done as in like, this one's going to take me forever to recover from. Like, I'm gonna have to go, you know, travel somewhere and find myself. And so what I did was, um, I didn't tell anybody I was doing this marathon. I blocked my <laughs> entire calendar off from the end of that marathon to the end of the year. And I just said, you wow. know what? I'm not coming back. <laughs> and so I, I ended up going out to this marathon, didn't tell anybody and I um, I, I ran it. And I didn't um, look at my watch and I didn't have my headphones in. I just wanted to listen to my own thoughts. And I was like, this is gonna just <laughs> doom me when I do this. <laughs> But I kept getting going, and I, you know, mile after mile, and I was just getting it done, right? And then I get towards the finish line, and I look at the clock, and I'm like, I'm about to PR this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't even believe that I'm, I'm here alone, and nobody knows I'm doing it. And I crossed that finish line, and I felt like I 10x'd myself. And I was like, holy crap. I just did this one for myself. I did it for my own applause. And that was something that was so unique for me at that point because I was like okay I don't know maybe the, some of the stuff that I was doing was to uh, I don't know seek some attention or maybe it was seek admiration I don't know maybe it's just other, it's something outside of me that it, um, I was doing it for and then when I did that, I was like, "Wow, okay, um, <laughs> I'm alive. I'm not gonna, you know, melt down and have to, you know, not work for the rest of the year. I'm, I'm gonna be okay." <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's an awesome
1: story. <laughs> and uh, so, did you? So, what did you end up doing? I guess after the marathon and, and the new year, like, because since you had it blocked out,
0: um, you yeah, know, I did go return to work. And I kept okay. it a secret for a few weeks that I actually ran the marathon just to savor it. And I think in today's world where, you know, we have so much social media posting going on um, and it's kind of instantaneous. Like I just finished this thing, therefore I post it. Right. But now I'm recognizing that I'm not gonna do that all the time right I there are things that happen in my life right now that are super special super meaningful and I want to savor those moments and if anything I, I like want to be super selective of who I share that with it's like it's not just about putting it out there into social media and letting you know people see and do these things but it's about really saying hey you know what I care about you this person and i want to let you know that i did this thing and here's this one picture or something that Mm -hmm. uh, nobody else gets to see right it's like that makes it so much more special than i think the overposting kind of thing that goes on at least for me
1: yeah yeah i would agree yeah i love that too so today like what does your weekly training schedule typically look like
0: you know i don't know 2020 has been totally different than pre-COVID kind of training. You know, I I was 5 a.m. kind of wake up, do my workouts, do them all before the kids were awake and that kind of thing. And then 2020, um, with every single race that has been canceled, um, it totally has shifted my um, training schedule. So I ran 19 races in 2019 and... 2020, I did one virtual Boston marathon (laughs) and that was something that was unsupported and it was on my own, right? So it's been different and I've had to really focus in on like, well, what is my exercise about and what is my training about and what do I really want to experience during this time? So I have done a lot less road running. I've done a lot more trail running. And that has been super fun and exciting yeah. and adventurous and challenging. And, um, it helps me recharge tremendously too. And it's like, I'm away from lots of people. I, I don't have to worry about the coronavirus stuff because there's so few people out in the middle of the mountains in the middle of nowhere where I'm running. So, <laughs>
1: um,
0: training has become something where I, I'm definitely using it to recharge and, um, do the things that I really enjoy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, trail running's amazing. I just discovered it this, this year. And uh, I was out in uh, uh, Park City, Utah, and there are just tons of trails. Just like, I just absolutely love it. I kind of like feel like a kid again and just kind of running through the woods.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it is like that. And, you know, you're hopping over rocks and tree roots and... Climbing boulders, and you know, and, and then you get to see these different mountains, and maybe it's some lakes, and you can pause, and even jump in a lake, and, <laughs> and then start running again, and right. it, it, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. And do you do you run every day? Like, do you try to run every day?
0: Um, I was running six days a week um, before, and. Now, after doing my virtual Boston Marathon, which I ran um, on the Pacific Crest Trail, I I did a unsupported um, well, it was about twenty eight point nine mile run from Harts Pass to the northern terminus, which is the United States Canadian border. Okay, and and then I had to backpack my way back out of there. <laughs> um, it was. You know, It was a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and it was probably the biggest um, thing I've ever taken on in my life, honestly. Um, There's just so much stuff that um, I had never done before and I was doing it all together at the same time. And so um, I exerted a lot. And since um, that took place about a month ago, I've been not running every day, I've been doing maybe every other day giving my body a a lot more rest and then the the type of workouts that I'm doing now are really about um they're easy workouts you know as an easy as in slow pace but I'm doing like 10 miles at a time now right and so it's still you know hard from that perspective but because the pace is a lot slower it's a lot less wear and tear on my body right and I am Pretty much just running right now. I um, the weather's turned and it's getting cooler. I'm not swimming as much because you know I would be swimming in a lake. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. So how have you been able to like balance your training needs with also raising three kids and building and running a startup?
0: Um, you know, I think it's about time prioritization and doing things when you know, the kids are sleeping, and then I'm not missing out on any of the stuff that's going on in their worlds. Um, I've always had a set of core values, things that govern me, and one of them is to show up for my kids, and no matter what they're doing, you know, whether it be, you know, Well, schools related stuff, if it's dads and donuts, or if it's a track meet cross country (laughs) thing, or if it's a soccer thing, or it's a band concert, it's like, I got to show up and be there for them. And then the second thing is my health. It's like, I've always felt like if I focus in on my health, then the other, it gives me the ability to be strong for the other things that I really care about. And then third thing is the connection and relationships and putting a lot of energy and focus on those relationships that I care about most. And then, um, you know, the business related stuff, startup stuff, those things take care of themselves when I take care of those three things. And when I communicate to my team, these are my priorities. Um, they get it. Okay. They just recognize it. They see it. And then they know that I'm a person that's going to get my stuff done. So (laughs) it's all about, are you getting your work done? And are you getting the results? And if you can focus in on those kinds of things, then it's a lot less about where physically am I, or am I supposed to be in the office right now? Or am I supposed to be somewhere else? And a lot of times I'm on the soccer field or I'm out somewhere else. Right. But um, in terms of work, I, I take it super serious and I put a lot of (laughs) energy towards those things and, and be productive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And what are some of the similarities or maybe like common themes that you see between endurance training and entrepreneurship?
0: You know, I think one of the things that I hear people say a lot, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm not a person that's ever going to say that because I feel like there's so there's such different kinds of things. Um, I feel like, There's a lot of training and there's a lot of perseverance that has to take place in both things. And so I think that's probably where the similarity is. And I think that it just takes such tremendous grit and resilience to do either of these kinds of things and knowing how to train and knowing how to put the right kinds of um, support around you That is probably one of the most important things. So like, and I didn't recognize it as much um, until I did um, my Ironman and I hired multiple coaches and one of them was a swim coach. One of them was a cycling coach. One of them was, you know, focused on nutrition. And, And when I did all those kinds of things, I was recognizing, wow, you know, these, it's so important to have these people around you and On the business side, it's the same thing. It's like I hired coaches as well in that area because, you know, even the best athletes in the world have a coach and they're already so efficient and so good at what they're doing, yet they still need a coach. And and then in the business side, we sit here and we kind of go, you know, I'm just going to figure it out. (laughs) <laughs> or you know it's like I guess I'm smart enough to just do it I don't know I mean I'm just like mm, I don't think that's I mean that's certainly one way to do it but I think as um, I've evolved and as I've looked at both the endurance athlete stuff and I looked at the business side of things I'm like wow they're, the things that make these kinds of people successful is the people they have around them, and the people that help train them and coach them, and you know help unlock the thoughts that are in their heads to be able to push and break through these things.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. That's awesome. that's uh, that's great. And so, getting to these last handful of questions here, let's say we meet again on the street in five years what do you want to be telling me that you've accomplished or created since this conversation?
0: So one of the things on my bucket list is to run rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. It's about a 47 mile, um, you know, thing where you run from one rim, go down into the Canyon, run up to the next rim, and then you come back up and, you know, come back Mm -hmm. to the place where you started. And it's, one of those kinds of self-supported um, endeavors, there's no race there, there's nobody there to provide any aid. Um, it's something that I just wanna experience. And then on the, I guess the business side of things, um, really wanna launch another company and I want it to completely align with my core personal core values. And um, I don't want to have any compromises at all like it's just got to have complete total alignment with um what i'm doing and i think if in five years from now we're talking and i get to say these things to you i will be so happy
1: (laughs) that's awesome what does your daily routine look like
0: um so pre-covid it was wake up 5, 10 a.m. every day. And I think the thing that I found to be most beneficial is doing the exercise first thing because it would reset um, or at least maybe set the bar for where and how I'm going to attack the day because my exercise just helps me get myself mentally, physically um, refreshed to a certain place and that created consistency in how I approached my day. So that's, that was where I was initially doing that and then making breakfast and putting the kids on the bus and sending them to school <laughs> and doing my work. And the work, I tend to do the things that um, require the most brain power, um, things that are analysis or maybe creative type stuff in the morning. That's when my brain tends to function best for those kinds of activities. And then I save the admin kind of stuff that um, doesn't require the same horsepower for the afternoon type work. And then, you know, come home and make dinner and spend a little time with kids and then um, probably decompress. And that, whether that be, you know, Watching YouTube videos on backpacking or um, <laughs> reading, um, but I always end my day journaling and okay unloading all the thoughts that are, have gone on in my head all day long and um, you know whether it be fifteen minutes or a half an hour. Um, I like to end my day with um, recognizing the different things that I've done during the day and then expressing some gratitude to Um, the people that I care about or, you know, just focusing in on those kinds of positive thoughts before I sleep.
1: Interesting. Um, When did, when did you start doing that? Was that something you've been doing for a while or something new?
0: Um, I think it's been a few years where I've um, been journaling a lot.
1: Okay. Interesting. And then, So as is the name of the podcast, The Driving Force Podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life?
0: I would say that those driving forces, probably it's the grit and resilience and how I attack the different things that are going on um, for me, whether it be personal related things, um, super challenging health-related things with friends or family, I'm like, wow, you know, these, these are really tough things that um, this person's gonna go through and I'm gonna be there for that person. So it's like, I feel like I'm just wired to get through anything. And when a friend or is in need, it's like, I'm showing up. And, and then I think about how I want to show up too. And I want to come with the most energy I can possibly come. and how am how is that other person going to feel when I show up? That's the other thing that I would say is part of my driving force. It's like I want to be somebody that um, packs a lot of energy and can be supportive and caring and kind and loving towards people.
1: Awesome. And then lastly here before I wrap up. What parting words of wisdom or advice would you like to leave the budding entrepreneur athlete listening?
0: Yeah, I think um, advice is actually an interesting word. Um, And I think it's, I don't really like to give advice, um, but I love to give experience shares. And the reason why I don't like to give advice is because um, we're all different people and we all attack things in a different way and how I might attack something may work for someone, but it may not work for someone. And they may execute something differently than the way I would have executed it and vice versa. right? And so we might end up with right. different results. So I don't, I don't focus on the advice, but I do focus on a lot of experience sharing. So that way a person can um, really create their own um, results and own their own decisions. And so I think that's that's probably one of the the biggest things about advice and wisdom. And I'd say the thing that i probably leave everybody with um, that's listening is part of my marathon mantra. I always write the word light on my hand and that stands for light and little effort because that's what I want my body and mind to feel like when I'm doing that particular hard activity. So It's not about, I got to push so hard. I'm on that red line and I'm going to blow up. Right. (laughs) That's, that's not the feeling that I want to have for business or endurance athlete training and running and those kinds of things. I want this thing, whatever I'm doing to feel like, wow, you know, yeah, it's hard, but I'm also feeling like this is light. I got it. And, and so I think if we, if people were to focus in on that kind of feeling while they're doing their work, um, it's gonna feel good. It's, you know, it's like, hey, I got this work, right? I, I got this project, I got this startup idea. Um, it's given me energy. It's, um, there's a lot of flow in that, right? It's not bumping up against walls and then throwing your hands up in the air. It's about, you know, how do I get through these things in the right way? And so focusing on light lightness is the key there
1: awesome it's a great place to end peter thanks again for coming on this is great
0: thank you chase really appreciate you um inviting me into this and asking such really insightful questions i um i've really enjoyed this
1: yeah me too thank you where can people go to find you online and learn more about thinkspace
0: um so thinkspace.com is the website and then um, I do post on Instagram, so peter.chi is where you can find the photos and things, and it's really mostly about where I recharge and um, where I enjoy spending my time, which is outside and it's running, it's in the mountains or in a lake. Um, so if you enjoy those kinds of photos, then you might enjoy looking at some of the things that I do.
1: <laughs> awesome. And you all can also visit my website, chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.